Welcome back to the Capes and Tights podcast right here on capesandtights.com. We are back for another episode. We're back for the first guest, celebrity guest of 2024 here on the Capes and Tights podcast. This episode includes Christopher Golden, New York Times bestselling author of books like Road of Bones, All Hallows, and his upcoming book, The House of Last Resort, coming out January 30th over there at St. Martin's Press. He also is a comic book writer of things like Baltimore, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and his, up, his current series, Mortal Terror, over at Dark Horse Comics. Christopher is a New Englander just like myself, so we talked comics. We talked the comic book industry, the book industry, and his book, The House of Last Resort. So, yeah, enjoy this episode. But before you do, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Blue Sky. Like, you know, share, do all that stuff. Also, subscribe, rate, review on Apple, Spotify, and all your major podcasting platforms. And check out our YouTube channel over on YouTube as well. Visit capestights.com for all kinds of stuff. But this is Christopher Golden talking Mortal Terror at Dark Horse Comics and chatting a little bit about the House of Last Resort at St. Martin's Press. Enjoy, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. How are you this morning? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. I always love that because like we feel like you have this pleasantries to say hello when you sign on to Zoom. And then yeah. I press record and we're like, how's it going? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, we, we're pretending we just started the conversation. <laughs> I um, <laughs> no, we've but but we've been talking about snow and, and mm -hmm. the real answer to how I'm doing is my back is killing me from clearing my driveway last night. And then, and I was saying I'm only a couple hours north of you, and I was saying how I just sneezed and it came off my car. So yeah. I don't I do you feel had a for dusting you. And we had a foot and a half of snow. <laughs> yes. uh, I I do remember those days, uh, and I will we'll see that here eventually. Uh, yeah. I will get those days here uh in, in maine but uh yeah definitely new england saw some snow this weekend and and we're in the warmth it is warm i got a got a fireplace going it's nice in here so we can talk some uh some comics and some books and stuff like that but i mean before we get before we jump right into it i mean this is the first time christopher you've been on the, our, our podcast uh yeah. you are a uh, new york times bestselling author but you also write comics what got you into writing itself like the actual uh, art of writing I mean, just writing in general, I think, you know, I was just such a voracious reader as a kid. And um, and I think that uh, the impact of stories that I read, um, you know, I don't know, it 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 made you feel a certain way. It allowed you to escape. It, it drew you into a story. And I just wanted to do that. But I mean, I think it's also because I've always been the kind of person who when I like something, I want everybody else to like it, too, mm -hmm. you know be excited about it too and so um i just thought well you know i want to be able to give other people the experience that i've been given if that mm -hmm. makes sense mm -hmm. absolutely I, I could understand that for sure i mean and you've written a number of novels um you've also been writing comic books for 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 i you know i don't want to age you here but for a while you've been doing it for yeah, a while no, I don't know. Listen, new. I'm, I'm 56 <laughs> i've been i've been writing full-time since 1992 so I was 20, I had just turned 25 when I quit my job uh, and moved back to Massachusetts. So yeah, so so you've, been, you've been doing it for a while. <laughs> yeah, I had sold my first novel, uh, which was not published until 1994, and then I quit. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah. Let's see. There you go. It, it, it's been a while, but I mean, so I've, I've talked to other people. I've talked to, uh, you know, other authors who also write comics, Adam Caesar, Daniel Krauss, uh, over the Stephen Graham Jones over the years. And, uh, they've all got into it fairly more recent than, you know, they've been writing books for a little while, but then they got into the, the art of comic book writing. Um, yeah. you've been doing it for, for a number of years now. What's the balance been like? What's it like writing between writing a novel and writing something like a comic book? Is, is it easy to do or is it like, um, I say easy to do. That sounds like brushing or, it off. <laughs> you mean, I mean, you mean the, the balance or, or yeah. the actual active? Yeah. No, I mean, you know, it's, uh, look, you know, I always talk about, I've written, I've written comics. Um, I've written novels, graphic novels, short stories, novellas, video games, screenplays, TV scripts, animated series, audio series. And so every single one of those things is sort of its own different uh, discipline and different thing you have to learn. But, you know, I started out loving comics and wanting to write comics and also, you know, loving books and wanting to write novels. Um, so I kind of pursued them both at the same time. And I, I actually made my first deal to write comics around the same time that I, I made my first novel deal. Uh, that the first comic book gig that I ever had was to adapt Joe Lansdale's novel, The Drive-In, for comics for Dark Horse. But um, and I'd written all four issues, and then Dark Horse and Joe had sort of a falling out over the the contract that they had. Uh, so that was eventually published many years later um, by another publisher. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I just always have have you know loved comics, and I. Um, but I had stopped pitching for a long time because comics, you know, comics is a rough business. Uh, it's a very, it's a very difficult business to make money in, to earn a living mm -hmm. in, sure. Uh, and to make it worthwhile. So if you're going to do it, you have to do it because you love it. <laughs> you know, yes. um, when comics as an industry will almost never love you back. No. Uh, so no, it's just true. I mean, yeah, you know, it is. Yeah, the people the people who get loved back by the comics industry are few and far between. Um, and so, and you have such little control over what you can and can't do. Um, so it was really my my friendship and relationship and working relationship with Mike Mignola that sort of kept me involved in comics. It was a stretch where I didn't do comics for a long time, and then I sort of got back into it when Mike and I started to talk about doing Baltimore, mm -hmm. which we had done as a novel uh, in comics. And that sort of started the ball rolling for all of the stuff I've done since then. Do you feel that there's like certain stories that are are, are made for comics, like in your opinion, like, or, or, or some of them just depending on how you tell the story? I think it depends how you tell the story. And I also think it depends on who your artist is, you know, um, you know, I mean, I've I've worked with um, Mike, obviously, although um, I've never written anything that he drew, which mm -hmm. makes me sad, although he's illustrated novels yeah. that I've written. Um, and uh, and I've worked with Terry Moore and uh, and, you know, in later years with with Ben Stenbeck, with uh, Peter Bergting, with uh, Bridget Connell on on the various things I'm doing at Dark Horse. So I've been really lucky to work with extraordinary artists who can really make the world come alive on the page. And that's when the story deserves it. Um, 
I've also been not as lucky, but I'm not going to name any names. And, <laughs> and in those cases, it's sort of like, well, you know, did I have fun? Yes. You know, yeah. so. And, and, and so like that transitions pretty well over with Mike Mignola, uh, Dark Horse, Peter Bergting, all that stuff to Mortal yeah. Terror, which is your most recent uh, comic to come out from Dark Horse. Uh, you released is it all most of your comics at dark horse all of your comics at dark horse what's the percentage uh, i would think for the last x number of years i'm not even okay. i don't not even sure uh how many years it's been almost all the comics i've written have come out from dark horse um and they've been a, a fantastic partner mm -hmm. um and and you know the other exciting thing about mortal terror which i know we'll get into is that i'm co-writing it with tim levin who is mm -hmm one of my not only one of my best friends but one of my favorite writers um and and that's the thing with that and and to have peter on the art again which i'm sure we'll get into but yeah yes. so it's it's dark horse and it's tim's first comic book okay tim Levitt's first comic book work so it's exciting to sort of bring him into this world as well uh tim's done i mean i've seen other stuff he's done star wars stuff he's done all kinds of stuff like that in novel form uh it is nice the book's excellent i i was able to read uh moral terror uh early uh obviously caitlin from P the pr department sent it over to me uh yeah. just when they do their soliciting for uh reviews and i thought it was excellent you did a great job i think with turning something like vampire lore and on its head kind of and like changing things up and making it your own story. Uh, but it does. And you mentioned the artwork part of it. I wrote a note here that's like, it fits so well with Peter's yeah. art. Like it just, the story is, I feel like you guys would have been able to nail it as a novel as well. Like it would have been great just to read it as a novel, but seeing the imagery from Peter, I think just adds that, that another level to it. You know, honestly, this is the thing about Peter. Pete, first of all, Peter's extraordinarily talented, mm -hmm. but it's, really been interesting i've worked with him for a long time he's the artist i've worked with the most for sure in my career mm -hmm. um he worked on baltimore he worked on uh on joe golem he worked on uh we did frankenstein new world together with tom Sagoski and now uh, mortal terror and um it's been fascinating to see peter's evolution because um prior to all of this stuff he's been more um you know, his stuff had more of a fantastical flair, very mm -hmm. sort of fantasy element, um, which you could see in a lot of his original work as well, um, which doesn't mean he wasn't capable of doing the more grounded stuff. Um, but we sort of put him through the ringer on the various books that we did. And I, I, it feels to me like everything we have done together has been building up to Mortal Terror, which I think honestly would be a huge challenge for any comics artist mm. to do this world, which is sort of a, you know, subterranean vampire London world. Um, and, and also I feel like it's, we're asking him to communicate a lot of information in the art and, uh, and it's a big challenge and he's just risen to it. I mean, I just saw the last five or six pages worth of art for the third issue and, um, and it just he's just doing such a fantastic job with giving us the mood and the atmosphere for mm -hmm. it because it's a weird story um and you know tim and i had to we had to make a decision that our our focus was going to be on uh the plot and the mm -hmm. world building is all in the background it's a lot of world building but but peter we're relying on peter so much to give us a lot of information uh that 
is the world as opposed to the story we're telling mm-hmm. about the characters in this world, you know? Uh, and before we go too far in this too, I, I, it was my fault, but like, can you like just tell people what, what Mortal Terror is about in a little bit of elevator pitch of sorts? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it started out just with a very simple idea, which was uh, what if we turned the story of Bram Stoker's Dracula on its head and inverted it um, in, you know, kept the characters sort of basically the same, except that the mortals are vampires and the vampires are mortals. Um, so essentially mortal terror takes place in a world in a, in a London an alternate history, London in the 19th century where um, uh, vampires basically centuries ago overran the world and most vampires don't even know that mortals are anything more than a myth because in their world, mortals are what vampires are in our world mm-hmm. in the sense that they're boogeymen, they're, they're scary things that they talk about are mortals because if a mortal bites you, your heart will start to beat and, uh, and that will slowly turn you human and it will be basically like they look at the, the beating of your heart like the clock ticking down toward your eventual death. So you're no longer immortal. You're going to die. Um, and and once we had that idea, it was about, okay, what kind of story do we tell about this mortal Dracula who is the sort of, uh, um, who is sort of preying on the vampire world in London? Um, and the conversation about it and the world building about it was one of the most exciting things I've ever done because it just was, it was so freeing to then be able to just build this story and this world and these versions of these characters. Like our, I love our Renfield so much uh, and we have plans for him and, um, and our Quincy Morris is, is just so fun. Uh, You know, so we, we've, I don't know. We've just been having a great time with it. And I'm really glad you enjoyed it because there is a, it is not a typical comic in the sense that we are asking a lot of the readers. Mm-hmm. Um, we are really sort of throwing you in the deep end of what this world is. And we're not, uh, you know, um, I would say it's not a light read. Um, so it's, <laughs> but I think it's really cool. As is, I say, uh, I do say so myself. I love how you said it's not light read too. I, mean, I tend to read a lot before I go to bed. And it's not really like when I get into comics like this or any other horror comic, I'm always like, it depends on the comic, but really there's some that I've been like, why am I reading this right before I go to bed? This is so much to a, a, a think about and yeah. take in and, and B can be scary sometimes. And I'm like, I'm just asking to give myself like night terrors and, and, and nightmares and things like that. But there is a lot, but I feel like it's a, it's a love letter in a sense to those who might want something more than just the service like more that you have to like almost like i i mean i i read it when i first got it but obviously i read it again uh issue one again last night uh before coming on and discussing this with you and and you get so much more out of reading it multiple times i think too because you have to look at the background look at the artwork a little bit more sometimes people just skim through comics especially once you know kind of what it's about yes once you know what's really going on then you take a closer look at it and we have you know we have we have plans, but it is, you know, and I felt this way about Baltimore and I felt this way for the most part about Joe Golem is, you know, I mean, I, I, I really am trying to give in all of this stuff. Um, you know, I, I try to give 
more world and more story uh, than I get out of a typical comic. Um, and that's not, I, I love comics. I mean, um, I read a, a really sort of random array of, <laughs> of things. Um, and, but, but I feel like for me, if I'm going to take the time to mm -hmm. tell this story, um, I just want there to be a sort of texture to it, you know? Mm -hmm. It makes sense. I mean, the the best thing I love about comics right now in the world and, and, and something that's Dark Horse has been doing for years, but it's like telling something a little bit different than what you typically might get at a comic book. I mean, you have this, you know, world of superheroes and things like that or straight up horror uh, or, 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 you know, thriller. This 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 book takes a story that we all basically know. And you mentioned turns it on its head and shows you something different. Is there something with vampires or Dracula that you really like? I mean, you did did a run on Buffy, um, you know this this, but like, is there something that calls calls you to Dracula and vampires and things like that? You know, I it's funny because uh, I guess there is. I mean, you know, I I've said so many times over the years that I don't have a a special love for vampires compared to other monsters or other supernatural creatures. Mm -hmm. But I guess I guess there is because I've revisited vampirism as a theme so many yeah. times over the years um i don't know i mean i think that there's something i think it's the immortality element mm -hmm. that makes it really interesting um but there's also the you know this story i guess one of the other things that really fascinates me is the question of who the villain is mm -hmm. not just in mortal terror but just in general right so if you look at any uh any story with a bad guy, um, which is almost all stories, <laughs> you know, you've got to sort of think about what is the motivation of the villain of the monster. And so like from the perspective of whoever the monster is, they're not the bad guy in the story. Um, and so that was the sort of fun thing about this, which is to say like, we're sort of following the vampire characters more. We're with Harker and and Lucy Westenra and and all of these characters and they're the vampires. So we play them, we put them in the position of protagonists. But is Dracula in this story evil? He's a mortal man whose world was completely overrun, and he's trying to take little pieces of it back. So is he bad? You know, this is like yeah. so. That's one of the things I really like about vampires is, you know. Um, it's like, how can you blame the wolf? You know, absolutely. I mean, you you have a you have a bear attack, you know, or some idiot climbs into the gorilla pen at the zoo, <laughs> you know, if, and he and he gets his arms torn off. Is it the gorilla's fault? I yes. don't think so. You know, no. no yeah, so yeah. so it's so this is the this is one of the things that is always fascinating to me about vampires. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a unique. As you read it as a vampire story, like you, if you just ask someone, what's the story about? You know, it's about vampires in, in a boiled down, just simplistic description of it. But that's not exactly what this is. And that's what I love about books. When, when my, my buddy Paul, who owns my local comic book shop, Galactic Comics here in Bangor area, they he talked about this year's the year in comics in 2023, for say. It was just what we wanted to was at our end of the year, a countdown for top comics was like, I wanted something that was different this like all, all the time. It was like every time I wanted, I used to be a humongous Marvel zombie. Just everything had to be Marvel. I wanted yeah. internet interconnected stories. I wanted all that stuff. Now I want to go into these things where I'm like, when I pick up this thing, I want it to be 
different. And that doesn't say that I need it to be like this entirely new story. I just need it to be a new take on some sort of story. And that's what yeah. kind of drew me in when I was reading about Moral Terror. The other part about it was the cover. I mean, honestly, the cover itself is just beautiful. The the, the design on the logo is beautiful as well. Uh, and you got not just cover A, you talk about cover B. Uh, Mignola yeah. did a cover uh, cover B for issue one, right? And you get Frank Frank Avila to do a cover on issue two. Um, yeah. That alone, to me, pulls me in. And so there's a whole array that makes this comic book one of those ones that just stand up, stood out for me in this time. Uh, well, you know, I we're know. just thinking about who you know who are the 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 horror artists that yeah. are most appealing to us that 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 give us the atmosphere that we are looking for. Because again, the other thing about this story is that. You know, it's all the things we've already said it is, but fundamentally, our Jonathan Harker is an agent of the king mm-hmm. in in his London. Uh, and, you know, they've they've suffered uh, at least one terrorist attack and they're dealing with, uh, you know, sort of rebels in the hills that are attacking their forces and all of this stuff. And there's a lot of mystery involved in it. There's a lot of this other so you could strip out all of the Dracula stuff and all the vampire stuff and say, our, our plot is something else. And, Mm -hmm. and that's what I was saying is that Tim and I really wanted to have this thing layered so that you have all the Dracula elements and the vampire elements is a layer of the story, but the plot existing within that world is its own thing. And this is the thing that I, I go crazy with movies and stuff all the time because like, you know, I want to care. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is like, you know, you go to a lot of these movies and and if you don't care about the characters and what's going on, I'll, I'll give you a really weird example. Um, every year, my wife and I try to watch most of the movies that we think are probably going to be nominated for the Oscars. And mm-hmm. we all make sure that we watched all of the best picture nominees in addition to some other stuff. And so a week ago, um, we started watching Maestro, the new film from Bradley Cooper. Mm-hmm. And for the first time ever, we shut the movie off halfway through. Like we just were like, this movie is so boring. And so, and we watch a lot of slow movies, you know, when you're dealing with the Oscar contenders, we're not looking for that. But, but because the movie is so superficial, in the life of Leonard Bernstein. It's just so, it's just like, he failed to make us give a crap. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like that's the, the secret ingredient in a horror movie or a horror comic or whatever, is like, we want you to be engaged with the characters and go along for the ride with them. Obviously it's different in a comic, you can't get mm-hmm. as deep, but um, but that's the thing with, with this, is we want you to be here for the plot if if the hook is to bring you in with the vampires and Dracula, great. Yeah. But in order to make a reader stick around, you have to give them a story. You know, and that and that's what this does. And I, I did it in a, in, a, in a wonderful way. And again, I there's a whole package here though. There's that you and Tim writing this, Peter's artwork, uh, Chris O'Halloran's colors, right? Am I, am I right on that? And then yes. Clem Robbins uh, lettering. There's a package here that that. I don't feel like it stands different, like above and beyond by drastic amounts about other comics I was reading currently. I just thought there was some sort of complete package about Mortal Terror that really drew me in 
uh, and kept me want, like, wanting to read issue two. Like there's that you all, I think anybody can cook me on issue one. Like, I feel like that's a very easy thing. And that's why we're living in a world of there's thousand Spider-Man number ones and whatever there is, because they want you to look at number one and go, Oh, I could get involved in issue number one. Uh, but that yeah. pushed me into wanting to know what happens to these characters. And you mentioned that it's something about caring about, caring about the characters, caring about the story, caring about where it goes. And they can be both sides of that though, Christopher. Like you can have this, I want to see where it goes because I have no idea. This is horribly right. written issue one and I don't know where you're going with this. And it could be the opposite, which is what this was, is I want to know where we end up. I want to know what the end of the story is like. Uh, and you could care less, I guess, in Maestro. Obviously, it's 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 you kind of know where the story's going, but like you don't care where the story goes because you don't care enough about what's going on because you're just not themselves. engaged yes. like yes. It's, it's a very it's a very superficial telling which is crazy to me <clears throat> you know the the other thing about let's talk about economics of comics for a second you know um we we had to sort of go back and forth we have a plan for mortal terror and and what our whole full arc is going to be um and we sort of had to go back and forth on the economics of it. So each issue is 24 pages mm -hmm. rather than the typical 20. What's, what's typical now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, dark horse had to do the, you know, the economics of that, but I have no problem talking about the fact that Tim and I aren't taking any money. We don't get paid anything. And the reason we don't get paid anything unless it sells and is successful in the back end is because we wanted to make sure if we were going to take the time to do this comic, we were going to be able to deliver to you Peter Bergting and Chris O'Halloran and Clem Robbins. Mm -hmm. So we worked out our, now Tim and Peter and I own this thing together. Yeah. Um, but everybody gets a piece of the, the uh, in success, if it does well enough to earn any money afterwards, everybody gets something out of that. But in order for us to be able to get the team we wanted that would make it worthwhile for us, we were like, nope, we'll, we won't get any money from the scripts because it's not worth doing if it doesn't mm -hmm. look great. Um, so it's interesting to hear you say that because that's a, it's a fun enough fun. It's a nice thing to hear a creator saying that uh, with other companies too. Uh, I don't know if you've seen recently with like Vault uh, have released two comics now uh, where issue one was free to to the comic book stores that uh, you know it, so they was able to just get it out there comic book stores could either charge if they wanted to or give it away to their customers and so on and so forth so seeing that the comic book industry including creators like yourself doing something different to get that team together as well as some publishers doing that to try to figure out how to strike new i don't know sales new things i don't know it's an interesting thing to see because and honestly that i like hearing from both sides the distributor or so the publisher doing it as well as someone like a creator doing this uh and, and working together because it does it makes a difference what team you work with like if you didn't like if you and tim were put Absolutely. together on this project like almost forced together be like oh we like tim's work you like chris's work let's put it together and you had to work together it might not have the same product whether whether or not you guys are excellent writers no, or no not. Look, I mean, you have to again, have this relationship He's one of my favorite writers and one of my closest friends. Um, and we've worked on, we've written a bunch of novels together and other things, but this is his first comic. But, yeah. you know, in this case, again, it was just that, um, you know, I've been doing this long enough that I understand the, the, the financial metric of it. Mm -hmm. When Dark Horse goes and does their costing, they've got to figure out what kind of risk they're taking. And they come up with a budget. 
And so, you know, when we look at that budget, it's like, well, we can do this so we can make a little bit of money up front and hire somebody to draw it who's, you know, we have no idea. Not only do we have no idea what it's going to look like once they're under the gun of a deadline, but we have no idea if they're going to ghost and vanish on us. Mm -hmm. um, so it wasn't worth doing if we weren't going to be able to do it with Peter and with a colorist and letterer the the, the caliber of uh, Chris and Clem. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and, and you work hard on these things. I mean, I can't imagine being someone whose job is specifically to screenwrite in Hollywood, knowing how many projects they put their heart and soul and things into, and they, they sold the script or so on. And it just never goes anywhere. Right. It ends all. up in like, a drawer and they don't own it. They can't, they can't take it and create it in a different environment. This is, I mean, I've, I've written scripts. I've been paid mm -hmm. to write scripts, usually adapting my own stuff that, that vanish into, mm -hmm. you know, into the ether. There's nothing you can do about it. Um, and I hate it. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and this way, this like way doing of doing it. it. Yeah. Yeah. I like doing it. But in this way of doing it and having this ability to potentially and you're in a position where you have the ability to do that. There are obviously some comic book creators and writers who maybe not be in the position uh, that you're in uh, having multiple avenues. You have a book coming out, so on and so right. forth, that uh, allows you to do this. You, you, you and, and Tim allow you to take money at the back right. end, not at the beginning. But this also almost guarantees that it will get in front of people's eyes. And that's, I think, one of those things that goes back to the also the art of creating comics and the idea behind telling your stories in this format is you want people to read these things. And I wish, you know, we, you know, you're, you're up there on the guest number a hundred and something now on this podcast, but I really wish I got to go back and listen to some of these and find out which creator said that one of their number one goals in comic books is creating comic books that people read. And that's yeah. the number one. Like he says, I want to make a living at it but I really just want people to read my stuff. So if I have to, if I have to give it to people, if I have to do these random things and, and special things to get people to read this book, I want that is my number one goal. And hopefully that turns into potentially a financial success for you on the back end. But the number one thing is that people buy this comic book and put it in front of their eyes. Yeah. I mean, you have the only to way it's gonna be successful. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you, um, most creatives have uh, a non-creative job. Uh, oops, sorry about that. With it, no. good. <laughs> spam surprise. <laughs> the only time that phone rings, it's it's almost always spam. It's spam. Oh, it always oh, usually says sp possibly spam, and I'm like, well, that's pretty sure that's spam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Funnily enough, yeah. that's what it says on the can now. Possibly spam. <laughs> spam. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but you you have that ability to get it out in front of people's eyes, and then that's I think you could you are and I and I can't speak for you, but I'm guessing you're lucky enough to be able to do what you're doing anyway. So it's not like if you didn't, if Mortal Terror ends up not succeeding, you want to make sure right. that Chris and Clem are paid, obviously. Uh, right. well, you want yeah, to make sure that's... that Dark Horse doesn't lose money on this comic book. But in the end, it's really just trying to get the story out there. And then if you make some money, great. If not, it was a nice shot. And hopefully, well, that's it. I mean, it, you know, Tim and I were passionate enough about this story that we just wanted to be able to do it. And, and again, it's, you know, um, I get paid for the other stuff I do. Um, you know, obviously people have a, most people are su supremely delusional about the amount of money they think writers make. Um, well, you're not all Stephen King. 
yeah no no one is is stephen king except <laughs> stephen king um yeah no we can that's a whole other podcast about <laughs> like you could go through i, I blame tv and films usually yeah. for the way that they portray i don't remember what movie it was there was something that i saw a few years ago where i can't remember now what it was where the guy had um had had an advance for his book where they, you know, they'll pay you half of the advance yeah. money. And he was like three years late delivering. This is a first novel, three years late delivering the book. And he was living in this swanky apartment in New York <laughs> city uh, with no job, just, just being a, a first time novelist with one contract uh, and three years late on, on your book. Uh, and I was just like, th this the, the screenwriter of this movie is the problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you, you actually, know? if anybody actually reads a novel, most novels about writers yeah. are about struggling writers. Yeah. <laughs> it's not yeah. about this super successful writer yeah. who's making millions of dollars. It's about the person who's struggling. They need to get this book out so they can get paid. Yeah. And so on. Well, so it's, it's like uh, I always I always refer to the Jetsons. I don't know if you're you know. <laughs> You're like that's from my generation, but I think a lot of people have seen. Yes. And in the at the opening of the Jetsons, he's on that treadmill and it's going too fast, and he yells, "Jane, stop this crazy thing!" <laughs> and that's the life of a full time freelancer. Period. Yes. You know, you just like you got to stay on that thing, and it's out of control. But you know, anyway. And if you think that uh, writers themselves are not making as much money, then you put in the category of comic book writers are in that even lower category than that and that's and i have had this discussion this is a, a a common uh discussion when an author who also writes comics comes on the podcast and talks about this daniel kraus and i had to, had a long conversation about this as well that that his his writing comic books is literally truly just like almost like treated as a hobby in a sense that yeah it's nice to get paid for it it's nice to get paid always for the work that you do um but in the end it's really just a story that needed to be in comic book format it made more sense in comic book format to tell the story or yeah. he was brought or, or, or awa studios or so on contacted him and said hey can you do a comic book for us and so on and so forth and and that's the reason why he did it it's not specifically another massive revenue generator for him no. and truthfully it's it's good do you think most people know you christopher golden as new york times best-selling author more than they do obviously as a, as a comic book writer uh i feel like i'm the story of the five blind men and the elephant you know what i mean like <laughs> like some people have only uh seen the trunk <laughs> yeah some have only seen the tail the ears you know <clears throat> so i do think i do think probably i'm better known for my novels but um uh but i again i've been writing comics for the for just as long um and again i mean there are lots of people only know me from buffy the vampire slayer yep. lots of people only know me from Hellboy, you know, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a, you know, but that's, that's how you make a career for 30 years. Yeah. And luckily there is some crossover as in like myself, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I have like a heavy reader as well as comic book reader. So there's, there's, there is this crossover in right. both of that, but um, obviously you find joy in both, Like you find joy in, in, in just writing. You, you mentioned that more off the top that, that yeah. writing stories and, and finding the right Avenue. And sometimes these are I mean, mortal tarot could be adapted and you have to write a screenplay for this now. So now it's both, writing a comic book format out of it, but also writing it in a different format. Um, but you also obviously spend a lot of time writing novels. Promoting them 
similar but also different i mean you've been how long have you been promoting uh the house of last resort like you must be i mean uh probably since and i've been i've been promoting it you know um less so a little bit than than the previous couple just because i've been so busy but um probably i don't remember when they released the cover and usually i wait until the cover is available to share um before i start you know putting it out there but you know usually it could be nine ten months Mm -hmm. uh you know before the book comes out um and then the last couple months is when you start getting more into it you know it's a um it's a necessary evil, you know? I mean, honestly, like writers, writers should not have to spend this time doing marketing and publicity mm-hmm. uh, unless you're self-publishing, you know? Yeah. But unfortunately, it absolutely positively must happen. Uh, and, and, and I think most people know that. I mean, I, I mean, I'm sharing about it all the time on social media and, and, um, you know, usually when something like I noticed last night, I shared this this morning, I was very excited, actually, that uh, Goodreads had a list that was the um, the 15 most popular um, books on Goodreads for January 2024. And the House of Last Resort was on the list, which was really cool because it was up there with like the new Sarah J. Mass book yeah. and, uh, you know, like stuff like that. So that was that was really cool. Um and so I share that. And that's it's it's great when you have news to share instead of just like, hey, don't forget to pre-order this book. <laughs> but you have to do it, especially mm-hmm. because um Twitter is a total shit show and mm-hmm. and, and cesspool now. Uh, and the the number of people who see the average tweet uh is minuscule in comparison to what it once was because they've throttled anybody who's not paying, you know, yep. um, and Facebook algorithms are also throttled, uh, so that like the number of people who see the average Facebook post now, cause they want you to buy ads. Mm-hmm. Uh, so social media as a tool is, uh, nowhere near as effective as it once was, which mm-hmm. means that you either have to abandon it completely or just double down on how often you post. Um, you know, obviously you have to have a presence there that isn't just about marketing, but hopefully people understand that, you know, if they're seeing it too much, it's a requirement of the job. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I would say most people who are fans, you know, obviously you're on here discussing your books on a podcast, but I'm a fan of yours. So it's like, I I would like, I like to see those kind of things. You know what I mean? Like I, I look at people's stories, uh, you know, uh, uh, Daniel uh, Krause and I had become friends. Uh, we did a beer collaboration actually together at my day oh, job cool. uh, for his book, Whalefall. And so we've, and he came and visited here and, and did a signing and so on and so forth. So I spent a weekend with Daniel. Whalefall so, brilliant. Oh, it's my, it was my favorite book of last year. So yeah. I will say that, you know, and it wasn't even because of that either. I just, there was something special about that book, but uh, they, the seeing his stuff. I like seeing that as I'm a fan of Daniel. So seeing your stuff, I like seeing that. So most of us are going like, to be okay with you posting quote unquote too much. The yeah. book industry, at least, at least you have something that like you have a book to promote and you right. can pre-order it on Amazon or your local store or so on and so forth. Whereas the comic book industry, like when I found out about moral terror was when everybody else found out about moral terror, basically. Right. And it was like, 
a couple of weeks prior to when you had to get your your pre-order into your comic book store. And then hopefully enough people ordered it or comic book shops ordered it and so on and so forth, at least in the book market. I know your book comes out on the 30th of January and I, I could pre-order it ahead of time and, and, and have that. The comic book industry is just this, like I've tried to have this discussion, like we could have had this discussion prior to issue one of Mortal Terror, enough time in advance for you to actually get people to pre-order it so your comic book stores get it and so on and so forth. But a lot of times you're finishing up the final parts of issue one when they're trying to get it on pre-sale. So there's not an advanced copy to read to help promote it and so on and so forth. So the comic book industry has some work to get ahead of this. But and I also think uh, for me, one of the big problems as a reader, um, one of the big problems with the way that the comics industry has changed over the last few years is the fracturing of the uh, distribution model mm -hmm. because now you know used to be you know you'd pick up diamond previews and you had a very cohesive coherent uh catalog to go through and to find what you were interested in and now uh it's a mess because mm -hmm. you know uh obviously the various companies have pulled out and they're they're soliciting elsewhere and so they don't have the the promotions there but you have to spend way more time digging through figuring out what you want and as the person who's got mortal terror in the catalog uh far fewer people are going to find that now i think than did in the previous iteration and and it's a problem and you, you have know. three different cat. Like I go to you have your Marvel catalog now because that's at Penguin Random House, and yep. then you get your Lunar one, and you get your Previews World one, and it's hard. And it also, dates are crazy. My my local comic book shop gets their Lunar order a week after every, like the release oh. of the book. So like if you have a, obviously Dark Horse uh, uh, comes in, and it, actually no, sorry, not all of it. Image comes in on time, but like for some reason there's some sort of thing, and they're not the only one. We've had this discussion with other people that like comic books that are strictly you know on lunar that are not your dc your, your independent publishers on lunar it comes in a week late and so like you can oh it comes out on the 30th when it really might actually come out on the following week at that local comic book shop uh because of just something to do with it so there's all these things that have to do with that but it's, it's just crazy and that's something that i i i've liked about the book world is that i can promote a book for months and months and months in advance knowing it's going to come out a certain time and yes there's printer errors and there's shipping delays and there's things that happen. Um, but for the most part, your book is going to be in shops. What yeah, it says I almost in shops. feel like there's a, I feel like there's a, um, there's a business to be made of, of creating a, uh, a third party catalog, mm -hmm. for, you know, for pay, like a, ma like, like, like an actual magazine that, that serves the need to have this sort of collective presentation so we can see everything because now like you know um my retailer doesn't have the lunar catalog um mm. so i'm combing through now to see like what what is what does image have out now and then i have to go online if there's anything that sounds interesting i have to investigate what that thing is i have no way to know what it's gonna you know so now yeah. it's sort of like even more so okay it's Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. I will buy anything that they do. Great. <laughs> but my odds of picking up something brand new when I don't have any real information that I didn't have to go look for is a problem. 
And you mentioned earlier about promoting your book without a cover. Uh, it's also a possibility. I've gone through preview catalogs where the entire page was cover coming soon because they had to start pushing it before the comic book cover was even done or or they released the cover. And so it's like covers, you know, you're a writer, but you know, covers sell comic books very well. And, and the fact that I can't even see what the cover looks like yeah. it is, uh, is a hard thing to do. Uh, you know, a book, you know, I absolutely, you know, to get on the book, back on the book thing, I absolutely love the cover of the House of Last Resort. That was one of the things that yeah. like, just, you know, made me, I, I, the, the where the letters go all the way across the top, the front, the colors, everything about it. Um, and that would draw me in if I was just going into a bookstore and knowing nothing about a book is, is the cover. I've been so, really the, lucky for my last like three or four books. Um, I mean, I got, I got House of Last Resort. We got All Hallows here. Yep. And then Road of Bones here. here. Yeah. Uh, and then um, all the other ones too uh, are, are excellent too. But yeah, that this cover right here, I think will sell your book you know, alone. Yeah. Uh, They've all been done know. by a designer named Jonathan Bush and uh, he's terrific. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's excellent. But yeah, more like I mentioned, Mortal Terror too. Mortal Terror was great too. Uh, the cover would draw me in if I didn't already know about it or know about you. And that's a huge thing. And so missing those is also a huge thing. But yeah, the comic book industry, there's some things that definitely could be working out on the distribution level to make it easier for, for people who are just novice readers who want to go into your comic book shop and, and buy some things. Um, but luckily the book industry, your other side yeah, of what you do fortunately. uh it's fortunately enough that you have ability to pre-order and stuff like that but um mortal terror before i forget uh, issue two just dropped uh at your local comic book shop uh and, and and the possibility hopefully they you know have sold out but if not go grab issue one and two because those are out and then issue three uh, i believe comes out in february am i right about that yes uh, yeah yeah february in february yeah. um so you should be able to uh at this point still go and have your uh local retailer get it for you um and then i'm guessing your plan is to to put this out in a dark horse collected edition at some point yeah yeah so um i'm not sure if i'm supposed to talk about it but yeah. i'm going to anyway um which is that um you know that yes the the mortal terror collection uh will say volume one on it that's awesome. But I like that. That's the big thing about mini series nowadays. I really like is the idea that you could just, you, you're uh, most likely you're going to cap this chapter of mortal terror off with a fitting ending that would be like, okay, if this didn't go any further, we'd be satisfied. But with the ability to leave it um, open ended. Just so you know, too. we're not. <laughs> <laughs> but I see both sides of it. Yeah. That's my, that's yes. my thing. But we're I will not. say there is, we're in a world and you live in a book world too. So we're in a world that people do like this collected edition too. I yeah. love floppies. So buy floppies. They're amazing. I love collecting them, sorting them. It's more of a like cathartic thing for me to do. It's just to organize comics, move them and, and, and change bags and boards and all that stuff. But I do understand. I do collect uh, trades as well. And I do understand that people want the book market trade version of it, which is also great because not everybody has a comic book store. But your right. local bookstore can get the trade uh, because then it falls into the book market. And that's pretty cool, too. Uh, but speaking of that, you have House of Last Resort. I wanted to quickly talk about this before we, we sign off. Yeah, here. man. A House of Last Resort. Um, it's my favorite thing I've written in a long time. Uh, it's set in Sicily uh, where my uh, my wife's parents uh, uh, grew up. And um, my, my father-in-law passed away last year. But um, my mother-in-law still owns a home in Augusta in Sicily, which is the town where they grew up. And um, it's, um, you know, Sicily is is gorgeous, but also ancient. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I've been reading all of these articles about, um, you know, towns in Italy that essentially Italy, like many other countries, uh, young people, you know, are born into these sort of towns that are in the middle of nowhere. And no matter how beautiful they might be, there, there's very little opportunity there and they leave to go to the cities. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these towns are almost ghost towns now. They're, 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 their population is, is dwindled to, you know, 20% of what it once was. So there are all these empty buildings. And so in a lot of these towns in Italy and Japan and, and, uh, and other countries, uh, they will sell in, in Italy specifically, it'll be like, okay, uh, we will sell you this house for one euro, but you have to promise that you'll live there yourself, no Airbnb. You have to live there yourself for at least five years and you have to spend at least 50,000 euro fixing it up, which sounds like a dream, right? Especially mm-hmm. because we live in an environment where so many people, particularly post-pandemic, are uh, working from home. Yeah. Um, and so it's about this young couple who says, screw it, um, let's go buy this house. And the 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 guy in the couple, uh, his grandparents still live in this town. Uh, so, so that's the sort of setup, but when they move into the house, um, they discover that it has a history that they were unaware of, uh, that involves the Vatican and very dark things. Mm-hmm. Very dark things. Uh, you know, you obviously don't want to spoil it for anybody out there, but I, I was one of those ones that I couldn't put down when I started reading it. Um, it, it was definitely fun. It made you think, cause I, what draw me in is what drew me in is the, um, the idea that I would and I can work remotely. So it would be an amazing thing. And I've explained this to people about how the idea, if I could for for a euro or a dollar, I could buy a house and do that. My wife and I would probably be right on that. We would do that in a heartbeat. Like you could literally do it right now. <laughs> I don't know if my my wife would be like, well, let's move to Sicily, but that's that's the that's a that's a different story to go on. But uh oh, all over it, Italy there are places. Yeah. yeah. And so like it was just kind of one of those cool hooks that makes it, oh, that'd be interesting to do. But obviously, I'm a big horror fan, so like the idea that something more sinister is there added the entire allure to me wanting to read it. Uh, and, and the fact that you were coming on here, uh, St. Martin's was nice enough to send me an advanced copy to read, and I was so happy to read it because I also visualized it more than a lot of books. I could actually picture myself a lot more in where these this couple is, uh, you know, in, in what their house looks like and what happens and so on and so forth. It's pretty cool on that side of things, but it's a wonderful book. It comes out January 30th. Um, but you also have other books out there. Like I just mentioned, you have Rota Bones, uh, yep. All Hallows, uh, which is amazing too. And actually look what I found at a yard sale this summer. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> the, you know, um, that one's easier to find. The ones that are really hard to find, uh, I did the only existing, as far as I know, Star Wars Choose Your Own Adventure novels, which were adaptations of the original trilogy as Choose Your Own Adventure stories. That's amazing. Oh. I have to look for that. That was just like one of those things. I'm like a big Star Wars fan. I saw this. I saw your name and I was like, I had no idea. But this also goes back to how long you've been writing too. When did this come out? I don't even remember. It's probably not right easily to find, but here we go. 96. 1996 yeah that yep. was a, a a very busy time <laughs> <laughs> but yeah star wars shadows of the empire uh you know junior novelization i thought this was amazing i think it'd be fine my son's three so at yep. some point he'll have to get into reading 
Uh, he'll read that book, I'm guessing, before yeah, he reads any of your other books. I would think so. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. I don't. I'm. I'm a cool dad, but not that cool. Dad. Not that cool. Yeah. <laughs> um. But I'm guess. I'm. I'm hoping people are liking it and reading it, and people are out there pre-ordering it because I do definitely think that. Um. You know, you've written a lot of great things, but I will say this is my favorite that you've written so far. Oh, thank uh, you. And so that's so that's a pretty cool cool thing, and I'm happy to have pre-ordered already at my local store, Briar Patch in Bangor. I was able to get it from them, uh, which I'm super excited for. So January 30th, that comes out. Um, but yeah, I'm guessing you're still writing other things. You got things in the hopper that you can't talk about. I'm guessing that's true. Yeah. I mean, I've, uh, let's see, what can I talk about? Well, you know, I, I, um, uh, I co-wrote and co-directed, uh, Slayers, um, mm -hmm. which was a Buffyverse, um, audible series uh, that came out last year. And, um, boy, uh, let's see. Well, yeah. What, I'm working right now on the third of the audio adventures uh, in the Hellboy universe for for um, uh, these, these three stories. The first was uh, um, the uh, a plague of wasps. Sorry, my my crazy head. Yeah. <laughs> Hellboy, a plague of wasps, and we did Lobster Johnson, and now uh, Tom Snagoski's come on with me, and we're doing uh, Hellboy in the BPRD story called Goddess of Manhattan. So we're wrapping that up like within the next 10 days or so. Uh, and I'm working on my next novel at the same time, which I, uh, it, I haven't talked about the, yeah. the title yeah. or anything, but That's I fine. suspect that'll be out around this time next year. Um, you know, and, and other comics are on the way. There's more Frankenstein new world coming um, and more Hellboy in love coming. And yeah. That's awesome. I'm so excited. I'm so I do. Christopher, you could write, you could write something on a napkin. I'd read it at this point. So uh, you know, keep that. keep keep up the great work. We appreciate it. Uh, hopefully, there's not as much snow. Uh, I, I don't know what the rest of the week looks like here in, in New England. I know it looked like it possibly could have snowed on Wednesday, but we're gonna get like 46, 50 degree weather on Wednesday here. Yeah, well, it's, it's gonna it's, it's gonna rain here, uh, <laughs> which will be great. I'll just be watching my basement all day and praying. <laughs> That seems like the the new thing to do is the, is the floating basements and all that stuff here. I feel like I'm lucky enough. I live in a building. I live in a townhouse that was built in 2018. It's yeah. a dry basement. I can watch other people. I can go help other people pump their basements out. Yeah, which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, and we well, were actually pretty safe. Wednesday afternoon, no. Exactly. My basement should be fine. I'll be down there. I'll take a few hours. My parents live in Connecticut. I'll swing by on the way back in Massachusetts. Connecticut up. No. Um, but yeah, so Mortal Tarot is available right now. Your local comic book shops, grab that. Uh, grab House of Last Resort. You can pre-order that. Uh, I recommend pre-ordering at your local comic book shop. Or sorry, bookstore, I mean. Um, Bookshop.org. You should be able to get it as well. But if you can't get it or don't know a local sh shop, buy it on Amazon. Just buy the book. That's my <laughs> that's my whole spiel. Like, just buy the book. That's my biggest thing. Is like, yes, it's nice. tomorrow. Buy it locally, but if you can't buy it locally or don't want to buy it locally, just buy it. It's all it doesn't matter. Exactly. <laughs> Show St. Martin's that we should go to your library. It. Your yes, library, that, yeah, that's too. And uh, there is there a plan for an audiobook or is it just gonna be? Yes, a... no, it'll it'll definitely okay. be on audio. Okay, I just didn't know at the time. It, usually, it's promoted around it, so it's, right now it's not. But at some point, uh, it will it will be on an audiobook format too, which I recommend as well. Uh, and that hopefully will be over at uh, Libro.fm because they help support local shops as well. So uh, you can listen to All Hallows and Road of Bones and all those stuff over there as well. Uh, so Perfect. check that out, Libro.fm, because that so supports local bookstores, which I am fond of. So, uh, but yeah. Thank you so much, Christopher, for taking time out of your day to talk comics and books and all that stuff and so much more. 
keep up the great work and, and hopefully we'll have you on again in the future, okay? Thanks, Justin. Take care, man. You too.